0: Our guest today is a psychedelic guide with over 39 years in the field of addiction recovery. For the last eight years, she has specialized in treating patients with a variety of alternative medicines, including Ibogaine, mushrooms, and LSD, with a focus on treating mental health conditions, addiction, and spiritual growth. She has extensive knowledge on the benefits of macro and microdosing practices as well as offering guided journeys. I had an awesome time discussing these various medicinal benefits with her and the future possibilities for our society. Here is my friend, Casey Mitchell. Can you explain your history in what, whatever fashion you want with psychedelics and, and you, incorporating them into your work?
1: Yeah, I – so I've been in abstinence-based recovery since I was 18 years old. And what goes – you know, there's abstinence-based recovery. People look at it like a lot from just the perspective from the, you know, you get clean. You get clean or you get sober. And so there wasn't a whole lot of investigation about the underlying causes of that. Um, You know, 12-step talks about it being a spiritual malady, right? So that's good. But there's a lot of underlying causes to it. Um, You know, mental health disorders, um, uh, unresolved trauma. So, about seven years ago, I had a friend of mine that started doing some work with an organization in Mexico with an Ibogaine clinic. And, you know, in the abstinence-based recovery model, which was is my lifestyle, um, psychedelics are not allowed. It's like that's if you do psychedelics, then you're not in abstinence. So... When he started doing this, it was completely outside of my comfort zone, outside of my understanding. Um, you know, Ibogaine treatment is, is really good for addiction treatment, particularly for opiates.
0: For alcohol too, right? Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: For alcohol, opiates, uh, a little bit more difficult with meth, um, does not work for benzodiazepines. Um, and it's, uh, you know, good for psychospiritual treatments. So, you know, people who are just wanting to have a spiritual experience. But it's a pretty gnarly treatment in medicine. D- d-
0: does Ibogaine act
1: like a psychedelic?
0: Does it take your mind a different place? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's considered one of the most powerful psychedelics on the planet. And is it plant-based? It's plant-based. It comes from uh, the Tabernathy tree in Africa. There's also some other sources for it. Um, it is now being uh, synthesized. Yeah. So, it, but it's you know just the ibogaine molecule, as far as I know. Hmm. Um, it it comes from the the Boedi religion uses it as their sacrament. So. Um, there's a, uh, you know, people go through the process of being initiated uh, into using the medicine. Okay.
0: Um, it's like a, a like a ritual almost, yeah?
1: It is definitely a ritual. Yeah,
0: and yeah. is it one of those things where, I know there's some Native American um, tribes that use peyote and mm-hmm. or ayahuasca to kind of like, it's kind of like you hit 18 and then that's how you become a, an adult,
1: basically? Well, the, I'm not quite sure about the specifics of the traditions, but the Native American Church does use uh, peyote, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a, there's a long history of um, of peyote, and you know lots of information that people can find out about it. Where it's, uh, you know, this is a, a medicine that was used uh, traditionally for thousands of years yeah. by the Native Americans, uh, and in Mexico, uh, mushrooms were used in Mexico. Um, And it's just part of their culture. It's part of what they use for, uh, you know, for healing, for growth. Um, A lot of these cultures, you know, recognize the fact that um, the, you know, spiritual healing is the basis for all healing. Um, So they'll use the, you know, these different psychedelic medicines to assist with that.
0: So your your colleague was using Ibogaine and you weren't. Completely comfortable with that is that where you're going?
1: it was so yeah, I mean it was so out so far outside of my paradigm, and you know he was a little kooky.
0: <laughs> what year was this?
1: I'll just say um what was it, eight years ago
0: oh just eight years ago yeah, okay yeah okay
1: um and so. He was doing sales for an Ibogaine um, um, center in Baja. And so the more I found out about it, the more interested I became. And um, I lived in Redondo Beach, um, which is near the LAX airport. And so what happened is... Uh, he was staying at my place, and so people would come through, and I would actually have people stay at my house that were on their way down for treatment hmm. on occasion, it got to be pretty regular, and then um, they would come back after treatment. And so I would see these incredibly magnificent transformations that these people had. Wow. Like like hardcore addicts. Yeah. It was really amazing. Um So, I was interested. (laughs) It's like, what is this whole thing? How does this work? And they also used a medicine called 5-MeO-DMT. So, it was a seven-day treatment. They would stay at the beach house, then go to the clinic for the Ibogaine treatment, and then they would have the 5-MeO-DMT a few days later. Mm -hmm. And it was really miraculous. Hmm. What was missing... And the reason that I do integration, preparation, integration work is was was the, the um, really focused and extended preparation and integration for psychedelic medicines.
0: Meaning what? Just a lot of pre-work? Like, like, uh, what do you mean?
1: Well, people would look at getting and still do oftentimes look at getting an Ibogaine treatment. You know, kind of like they look at going into a thirty-day treatment program, okay. or taking uh, prescription drugs for um, for depression or anxiety. Um, that they're just going to do this thing and then they're going to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the case at all. You know, people need to you know have lifestyle changes, mindset changes. Oftentimes, you know, their environments need to be changed in order for them to be able to live. The life that they're wanting to live. And that's particularly true with addicts. So that that's where um, this, you know, uh, treating the underlying causes come in that, you know, people really need to identify and address the underlying causes for whatever, you know, depression, anxiety, addiction. Um, and so that, you know, unresolved trauma, um, you know, habits, mindsets that are uh, dysfunctional or not serving their highest good, outdated. Um, so that's where like the, the preparation work comes in, where people are, you know, setting their intentions, looking at what it is that they're wanting their life to look like, um, getting closer to examining what it is that's holding them back from that, sure. what the underlying causes are. And then the integration is, you know, what kind of lifestyle changes are they going to make? What kind of practices are they going to? Um, move into to get what they
0: want. Yeah, to continue down that, that path of sobriety. Well, I imagine it's like just super difficult to get them to even to agree to come do it, right? That's like, it's got to be a huge step right there. Just admitting that their life is not good and they need to change something. Because when you're that deep into addiction,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you, you're not even really in reality.
1: Yes, I mean people who are looking at put, at specifically Ibogaine treatment are usually pretty far down the path with mm-hmm. their addictions. You know, they've tried everything else. They've gone to, you I know, mean, I know of people have gone to like 30 treatment centers. Jesus. You know, 12-step programs for 20
0: years. Well, is it possible that some people just have that as part of their DNA? where they just need to take something to excess?
2: That's it... an
1: interesting question. Part of their DNA. So, you know, they used to say that it's genetic, uh-huh. right? Um, and if you look at like uh, the work with uh, Bruce Lipton, are you familiar with mm. him? Uh, he wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. And I think it was probably 20 years ago he was uh, involved in the human genome project, where they okay. were looking for
2: yeah.
1: um, the you know, DNA that was responsible for every disease and you know, everything that can happen to a human being. And they found out that there was not DNA that was responsible for everything, that that it's uh, it's more about the nurture. So um, you know, you can have these genetics in your system, but um, th- the environment is what will turn them on and turn them off. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, yes, there is the, you know, alcoholism. There's a phenomenon of craving, physical allergy, um, So there is a, you know, a physiological basis for addiction. Uh, People will have, uh, you know, low dopamine, low serotonin, um, uh, you know, lowered um, uh, dopamine receptors. So when they take a substance, you know, alcohol or drugs, it's like, you know, all of a sudden they feel great and amazing and awesome and normal.
0: Yeah, because it is awesome. <laughs>
2: that's how we do it.
1: Yeah. So, um, so there there is a you know a physiological you know element to it, but that's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, I do what I call holistic addiction recovery, and uh, I mean really holistic you know life transformation, holistic everything. So I help people look at the entire picture.
0: Sure. So, do you use ibogaine now? No. No, you're still not a fan of that. What 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 are your methods?
1: No, I I am a fan of it. It's um, ibogaine and iboga. Those they're um, they're very very strong medicines. Yeah. And and I would say you know it's like they're pretty specific for, you know, what you're wanting to use them for. So there's dosing and there's microdosing. Mm-hmm. Um, and fl- with Ibogaine, there's flood doses. So that's what the clinic was that I worked with. And you need to have um, uh, your heart tested, your liver enzymes tested. Wow. Yeah, um, be in a clinic or some kind of a setting where you have heart monitors on, have... Um, you know, a, an emergency plan in place. So that's a flood dose of Ibogaine. Um, so it's a thing. And
0: how long, how long of a trip is that for a flood dose?
1: Ibogaine, so it's about the, the actual um, flood dose experience is about 12 hours. Okay. And But then you have what we refer to as the gray day. So you could really look at it like 24 hours. Okay. Uh, because then you know, the the twelve hours after that, you know, most people are just not functional.
0: You know, some less functional than others. And what are the uh, the experiences you've heard about? What? How do people describe what happens? Hmm. Some. <laughs> I imagine it's one of those things you can't unless you do it. Mm, correct. Yeah.
1: Um, some people don't have any psychedelic experiences, Hmm. so they get really disappointed because they hear about these stories where people have seen, like, they've been taken back to the beginning of time and taken all the way through the development of time. Wow. They met their ancestors, um, uh, you know, have just gone on journeys through, uh, you know, difficult things to describe, just like it doesn't make any sense,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, geometric, um, the sacred geometry sure. being shown that, being sh- just lots of different experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. But I mean, all with the main goal of not being addicted to something anymore.
1: So the thing with Ibogaine is that it resets the receptor sites to pre-addictive states. So people who have an opiate addiction, like 30 minutes after they ingest the Ibogaine, they're free from uh, withdrawals. Most people. Yeah.
0: Wow. So I, I wonder, wh- why don't they just give that to Betty Ford Clinic heroin junkies who are detoxing? Why don't I just say, hey, you, you don't want to throw up for six days? Here's some Ibogaine. <laughs>
1: Well, that takes us into the Substance Control Act that was put in place in the nineteen seventies. Okay. Um, so uh, all psychedelic medicines were put into a Schedule One um, in in the seventies. So that was, you know, LSD, ibogaine, ayahuasca, um, uh, psilocybin mushrooms,
0: mescaline. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and if people do their research, what they will actually find is that that was a, a political move, that it was to have control over certain populations of people. You know, um, uh, cannabis is, you know, put in Schedule 1. Um, now, the thing so – see, you, you had the hippies in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Timothy Leary and uh, – so it was a little out of control for, you know, for the government. I mean, you know, these people are, you know, talking about these, this higher level of consciousness that they're connecting to, you know, love and peace and which you, when 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 people take a psychedelic, what does happen most oftentimes and somewhere in there is they get connected to this um this unified field, so a higher level consciousness unified field. Mm-hmm. And their perspectives are completely shifted. And um, that is what benefits people with, you know, addiction, depression, mental health disorders. Um, but bit at the time, you know, they wanted to get control over a certain population of people. Historically, that is why Drugs got put into Schedule Ones. So, there's a book by Johan Hari called Chasing the Scream, and he lays that out pretty well, the the history of the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, So, at the time um, that the um, Controlled Substance Act went into effect... There was actually, you know, they were using LSD for treatment for mental health disorders and addiction. And they were getting really good results with it. Hmm. And that's just with LSD. Um, So uh, what happened is like the, you know, research got shut down. And then there was this uh, mindset that was developed through... I'm going to say propaganda. I was going to say
0: propaganda. <laughs> yeah.
1: So all these stories uh, that were not true mm-hmm. about what would happen if you took these psychedelic medicines. Now, they're, um, they are not addictive and they do have um, medical purpose. And those are the two things um, that... Qualify a Schedule One substance that they are addictive and that they have no medical purpose. Hmm. Uh, so th- just even over the last, like, few years, that has really been shifting publicly.
0: Yeah, because Oregon uh, decriminalized or I believe for, for medicinal purpose, they approved mushrooms.
1: There's Measure 109 which legalized um, psilocybin-assisted therapy. Mm -hmm. And so um, they've developed um, the uh, training curriculum, Mm -hmm. what's necessary to be in a training, in the training curriculum for that. Um, And there's organizations that are now moving into training individuals Mm -hmm. for psilocybin-assisted therapy.
0: Yeah. I don't understand if, I mean, obviously the goal is always to make money. <clears throat> and if you, if you have some sort of ailment, some sort of need for a drug and you have to see a doctor and they have to prescribe something, what is the incentive to prescribe Oxycontin or Vicodin or Xanax or any of these manufactured synthetic items versus using <laughs> something natural? Like, if they could still make money off of it, like, who cares? I don't understand. Um, Is it because they control the manufacturing of those pills and we don't have the chemicals to make them? And you can get uh, mushrooms if you want to? You could grow mushrooms in your backyard.
1: Yes. Mushrooms, so there's like a, a number of different... Subjects here.
0: Sorry, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Rabbit hole. No,
1: that's fine. We're gonna sort this out, and um, so uh, so there's the Measure 109 people, and that's uh, you know people who want this to be available or the um, the treatments to be available to professionals to be able to offer to people, right? Um, so it's good in that it makes it more acceptable, right? for all of these people who think that magic mushrooms are, you know, evil. And, or, you know, think they're bad or anywhere in between. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so that's, that is a good thing. Um, Professionals who would otherwise like lose their license now it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is legal, In the state of California or the state of Oregon, Mm -hmm. right? And if you do this, then if you offer these services to a client, then you're not going to get busted and go to jail, right? Um, So that's good. And then there's the Decrim Nature people, the Mm Decrim Nature mindset. And so Decrim Nature is a a national organization. The the first city to decriminalize entheogens or psychedelics was Oakland. And so that organization has grown. They have this model for moving decriminalization of psychedelic medicines through city councils. Um, So, you know, as we know, there's a lot of different, you know, all across the nation, there's different cities that are... um, uh, that are moving into this decriminalized nature. Moving forward. Yeah. But
0: what I mean is like, why create that? Why pass that bill in the 70s criminalizing these items mm-hmm. that they had seen were beneficial? I, I, in my mind, it's like there's got to be some sort of financial incentive. Like, Oh, yeah. Wow.
1: It was to control a population of people.
0: Which population?
1: Uh, at that time, it was the hippies. <laughs> um, you, you go back to opium, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it was um, the, the Chinese population. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a story in his book about Billie Holiday. You know, she was addicted to, to opiates. And, you know, she was basically a civil rights activist. Yeah. And, you know, the music that she sang, the success that she had, you know, as a black woman, as a black female artist, uh, and so, you know, there was there were people that wanted to take her down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with uh, cannabis, it was the um, Mexican people, um, and you know, s- some other people of color mm-hmm. that they wanted to have control over. Mm-hmm. So if they passed a law. That that this was illegal, then they could go take those people down, yeah, and put them in jail and mm-hmm. get them out of the way. Yeah, um, you know, with you know opiates with uh, oxycodone, OxyContin, you know, there's you know all of these lawsuits right now. I mean, countless lawsuits. So there's lawsuits against the. Um, why can't I remember their exact name? The uh um, they're the company that uh developed um oxycodone. Merck? No. Um I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the the family, but it was it's a family owned business. Yeah, look it up. Um, thank you. hmm And um Purdue Pharma? Yes. Uh Purdue, no. Sacklers. Sackler. Sackler. Yep. The Sacklers. Thank you, the Sacklers. Um, you know, they're walking free. They're, they've paid a lot of money um, in settlements for, you know, all the damage that's been done um, with these this particular um, form of opiates.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, the marketing that was done. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years ago were prescribed, you know, they'd get like a prescription of like 180 oxys.
0: For, for one month? Yeah,
1: for a broken leg. Yeah. Or for an injury. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, 30 days, three weeks, 30 days, they're addicted. They're, mm-hmm. they're addicted to opiates. And how it was marketed is that they were not addictive and that that was one of the wonderful things about these about
0: these oxys how could how could a painkiller not be addictive that seems ridiculous
1: it's well that's what we think now <laughs> but at the time yeah that's not how
0: it was marketed well yeah and then they couldn't afford to get more oxys and so they had to buy heroin mm-hmm. and then they would od on heroin or, or just be junkies just be heroin addicts yeah it's horrible
1: there, there's like
0: well, whole it's still towns
1: t- or whole towns that were decimated and, you know, ones that, yeah, there was like these pill mills. I mean, it's just really shocking when you, when you know the details of it. Um, so, yeah, why don't they just let companies use Ibogaine to treat this? Hmm. We're moving into that now. So, there's, uh, there's, there has been – so, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies – It's a privately owned organization, or it's a nonprofit, privately funded organization. Uh, Rick Doblin is the founder. He's been doing research. They've been doing research on psychedelics for 30 years. Um, So they never really stopped. There's another organization, the Hefner uh, Institute. They've been doing research. And, you know, there's this, what's referred to as the psychedelic renaissance that's happening now mm-hmm. where uh, people are on board. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of studies. There are a lot of studies that were being done now on the benefits of um, Ibogaine is one of them, mm-hmm. um, psilocybin, LSD, all these medicines. It's kind of sad because it's like a, a multi-billion-dollar industry now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, 10 years it was not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's all of these people who've been, uh, you know, a lot of people who've been using these medicines underground for all of these years. Of course, the uh, uh, indigenous cultures that have been using them for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. And now, all of a sudden, any of these companies see that they can make a buck on yes. this. So, so, there's different camps. So, that's what I was saying where there's these, you know, there's the... Um, the camp that is, you know, it's like, oh, well, let's do research. Let's bring it into, you know, let's get it into the traditional medical model. Let's, you know, some medicalizing it. And then there's these other camps that are like, wait, these are natural substances. Anyone and everyone should be able to have access to these medicines um, you know, psilocybin, you know, ibogaine, iboga, um, um, uh, peyote. So, you know, everybody should have access to these medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where these, um, where the uh, decrim
0: nature movements come in. And so can any can anybody become a doctor of any of these substances, or do you have to get special um, clearance? Like, how uh, how do you become? Say, you, say you understood. Say that I was like psilocybin's awesome. I feel like it could benefit people a lot. Like, is it easier or more difficult for me to become a doctor who can prescribe that as a as a medicine? Like, is it on par with? I can prescribe oxys or I can prescribe psilocybin or it doesn't matter.
1: There's a lot of education that needs to go into it Mm -hmm. for doctors to be able to get their minds around exactly how and where a psychedelic medicine is going to benefit somebody. Hmm. Um, And so that's one of the difficult things about, you know, um, medicalizing it is that it's a very different mindset. So, there's the allopathic medicine, right? It's like, oh, you take a pill, you have a surgery, you do something to fix whatever's wrong with you. Um, Psychedelic medicines are, again, much more like holistic and uh, for some reason intrinsic is coming to mind. Mm -hmm. It's – so, it's – and and it's difficult for a, a someone who has an allopathic m- medical mindset mm-hmm. to get their mind around. Uh, oh, you mean somebody's going to have a, a psilocybin-assisted journey, or you know MDMA and psilocybin-assisted journey, and they're going to have this. Uh, major perspective shift and they're going to have some kind of a shaking or vomiting that happens and it's going to like <laughs> uh, purge trauma from their cells. It's
0: one of those things that you have to try. So they just make it part of the syllabus. <laughs> right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> if you are allowed to prescribe OxyContin, you need to know what it's like to take it. You, you're have to, allowed, you,
1: mean you have to take it for 30 days? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I don't know. that would be interesting.
0: You know, each, like, why not? I mean, obviously not everybody wants to do it and not not everybody has trauma or depression they're trying to relieve. But if you, have you done mushrooms? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you understand how much it can shift your perspective on life mm-hmm. and make you more compassionate and just understand that there's other things going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This is not it. There's stuff that we don't understand. Yeah. And if you have done mushrooms, mm-hmm. you and I can talk about that, and we both know what we're talking about. Yes. But if somebody was sitting here that hadn't done it, we can't explain it to them.
1: No, you can't.
0: I was trying to ex- explain it to my parents over the weekend. And <laughs> I was like, I can't tell you. Like, I can... I can try to give you what little insight I have, but I can't – it's the same thing with, like, you can't explain to somebody who doesn't have a kid how much you will love your child. Yeah. It's a different type of love.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you've done mushrooms, you can't quite grasp what it is and how it changed your life, but it makes you mm-hmm. different in a good way.
1: Yeah. Well, you can't explain it, and then there for a lot of people – I would assume your parents, um, who have all of these layers of myths about the medicine. For sure. Uh, That's one of the great things about, uh, well, there's some great things about Michael Pollan's book, right? You know, How to Change Your Mind, Mm -hmm. um, where um, it's, you know, he's this, you know, famous writer and he's doing these medicines, and so it made it very acceptable for a lot of people. Sure. Um, and so, so there's that aspect of it that, like the, the, um, the chipping away at the myths, and then the, you know, bringing out of the truth about it. Yeah. So.
0: We just need to get mushrooms to Obama. Kanye and Trump,
1: and we'd all be good. <laughs> again, They'd be spokespeople again. You got to have the preparation, <laughs> and it's 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 like you have to have some. Uh, you have to fertilize the soil.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things where, like, you because
1: uh... you know the thing is like you know people who get dosed and don't know. Like they don't know what the fuck is going on. They yeah. they don't know that's what it is. Yeah, I mean they, they would use. So they used LSD this back in the forties and fifties. They used LSD. They actually did give it to the therapists, and and so they wanted to give it to the doctors and therapists so that they would know what it was like mm-hmm. to uh, feel schizophrenic.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, but I mean they knew they were getting it. But
0: like if you don't know that you're getting it. Yeah, but I don't know that you can put that on par with being schizophrenic, because can a schizophrenic person explain to you what's going through their mind? Yeah, I don't think it's the same thing, but well, I don't know, I'm it, not it, schizophrenic. It, 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 I'm not either.
1: But this that is one of, that's what they identified, is that, oh, well, it, it's you know not having control of your mind. Mm. And, Uh, you know, seeing and hearing things that you don't see and hear in your normal state.
0: That would be awful if you just tripped all day, every day. That's the beauty of it is that you come back. You travel to the other realm. You go, oh my God, there's other other things happening. And then you come back.
1: And then you come back.
0: And then you're like, you're so appreciative of (laughs) this simple thing we're doing. Because there's there's something else going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a complete perspective shift, which is really important. So they, um, you know, they talk about the um, the default mode network being knocked offline, right? So psychedelic. So the default mode network is basically the ego. It's the way that we think things are and our life strategies. So when you take a high level of psychedelic medicines, the default mode network is knocked offline. And you know, with psilocybin, you know, you have access to all these different parts of your brain. And then the way that I see it, you have, you know, access to the all that there is, or, you know, universal life force or whatever you want to call it God. And so you have a completely different experience of, like you're saying, of you know, what we deal with like, oh, Well, this is a table, and this is what I should be wearing, Mm -hmm. and this is how I should be talking and acting. It's like all that shit's completely wiped out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there is the benefit to that because there's so much of this default mode network that we have that's inaccurate, dysfunctional, uh, you know, that's ego and survival and so when when you move into this higher level perspective it's like you're shot into this space where it's like oh my god
2: mm-hmm.
1: you mean it's okay if i don't wear makeup <laughs> yeah i mean you don't want to like run around the streets naked but yeah
0: you know it's no it just uh, any time i try to explain it to somebody it just You question why we do what we do. There's so many things you do on autopilot all day long that you don't (laughs) even know you're on autopilot doing. And then you you eat some mushrooms and you you start to ask, why why do I do that thing? Why Mm -hmm. like you just become more you become more curious. You become Mm -hmm. a four year old that doesn't know about the world. And you're like, oh shit, why why do leaves grow? Yeah. And you're like, it just, everything becomes more simple and easier to understand and beautiful in a way.
1: Yeah. And interesting. Yes. And yeah, it's really beautiful. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I. Or it can be. It can. Well, I mean, it can go sideways. <laughs>
1: well, you know, people who have uh, considerable layers of trauma. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, you know, it, it can, there can be really difficult journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where integration is so, so important. So, community. So, I run a number of groups with Portland Psychedelic Society monthly. Um, you know, I think, uh, community, hearing other people's stories, being able to share your stories, um, connecting with people, and then, um, you know, working with someone like I'm a, um, integration coach so you know being able to sort out um the uh the information and lessons that were in a journey and a specifically difficult journeys is really important because people say oh i had such a bad trip and i don't i don't personally believe in bad trips i believe in uh, trips that aren't integrated well
0: sure Um, because it's all happening in your mind If something doesn't go the way you want it to, it's because there's something that you haven't figured out or dealt with.
1: Well, psychedelics can unearth deep-seated traumas that people didn't know they had. Yeah. Uh, Or you know, if they have trauma that's being stored in, you know, in their tissues and cells in their body and and then that gets like busted open as then you know people need to have some community mm-hmm. with that
0: or assistance with that. So how does that work out then if you if you are someone with with deep trauma and you you choose this path to to explore yourself and figure out what's going on in your life? Mm-hmm. What what if what if these people have bad trips do they come out worse do they come out and evaluate what happened and try to make sense of it
1: oh it depends on who they are and where they're at in their stage of healing so you know there's people who really have no idea that they have they've had traumatic experiences and that it's influencing their current behavior and lifestyle and um and they are, you know, they, they're they not in therapy. They don't have community. They don't have a spiritual practice. They're, you know, workaholics. They're, you know, drinking quite a bit. And that's just like a rough example. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then they, they do, they go on a like a two-day ayahuasca retreat. And like they leave the day after the retreat with their hair on fire. It's like, oh, my fucking God, what was that? Mm-hmm. And then they go back into their life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like there's there's so much information that came through during the retreat and with the medicine, except they're so freaked out because they don't have any support system mm-hmm. for looking at any of that you know there's still in their family who's you know really intolerant of any shifts and you know very set in their ways uh don't want to identify any <laughs> early childhood trauma that may have taken place
3: yeah
1: uh, and then you have somebody go back into that same environment and it's like um they look at it as this horrifying psychedelic experience mm-hmm. that they had And they just kind of tuck it away and go back to their life. Now,
0: what was unearthed doesn't go away. So how do do they deal with it then? They have to talk to someone and like unpack it?
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you
0: recommend being guided through a psychedelic trip and having a therapist and and working things out like it's a it's a process it's a months long or years long process yes yeah
1: it's a process yeah yes yeah i i think that part of it is really important and you know there's uh it's it's an ongoing process yeah it's um you know people will have one journey and get some information out of it and then i don't know maybe months Later, they'll have another journey. That journey builds on what happened in this one. Um, So it's a, it's a, can be a spiritual practice for people. You know, other people, they just go and they, oh, they do an ayahuasca retreat for, you know, seven days in Peru. And, um, and that was just what they did. And they feel, enlightened or, you know, more enlightened than they were before. They're, um, You know, maybe they realized that they needed to make a career change or get out of a relationship or, you know, saw things that resolved this trauma uh, and then they just
0: go on their way. So I know that different things have different purposes, but in your experience with everything you've done... What do you feel is the most beneficial is it can you can you just say one item takes care of stuff no they they have different purposes
1: uh yeah and, and it depends on the person it depends on their um uh their level of education with um with The psychedelic medicines, Um, you know, this preparation and integration subject is really important. You know, like, do they have a lifestyle of of integration? You know, where they're, you know, meditating, journaling, and they have a therapist or a coach or both. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a community that they connect with. Um, You know, they've messed around with some, like, maybe what I would refer to as museum dose of um psilocybin or LSD so that's, that's just smaller. like yeah it's just like a recreational dose um you know uh, somebody like that it's like for them to go and do you know like a two-day ayahuasca retreat it's like oh yeah you know they have um, the mindset and the the, the knowledge mm-hmm. and they've they've had the experience Um like I was talking about before, you know, somebody who doesn't have any experience or knowledge about it, no lifestyle (laughs) integration, has never done psychedelics for them to go and do, you know, like a two-day ayahuasca (laughs) retreat.
0: Might be kind of scary.
1: Could be a little disturbing. So, you know, and there are the different medicines. So um, a couple months ago I did Uh, hosted a panel with three of my friends for uh, 5-MeO-DMT. And that, so 5-MeO and Ibogaine are the the two most powerful psychedelics on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, So the 5-MeO-DMT, you know, um, people are shot into this... um, expanded consciousness. Yes. Ego completely melted away. And so you take somebody who's like a major control freak, Wow. Well, has control issues. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said major control freak. <laughs>
0: That's right.
1: Old terminology. Um But you know, you take somebody like that and give them five MEO DMT and they, they, you know, could potentially just fight it all the way and not have this incredibly enlightening experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so education and research is really important. The different medicines, because there's 5-MeO-DMT, there's ibogaine, uh, psilocybin, there, LSD.
0: There's multiple types of DMT, yeah? Uh,
1: yeah, there's uh, DMT, and then
0: 5-MeO-DMT. I did... DMT one time. I don't know what it was, which kind. I didn't even know that's what I was taking. Oh.
1: That must have been interesting. It was
0: intense. And I didn't know how long it was going to (laughs) last. And I thought I wasn't coming back. (laughs) And it was fucking terrifying. It was anywhere from like 10 to 20 minutes.
1: (laughs) Excuse me.
0: But, yeah. That was probably five MEO. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Cuz
1: yeah, cuz the you know NNDMT or DMT is so ayahuasca has DMT on it. Okay. Actually, DMT is present in everything. Right? It's in our bodies. It's in you know shrubs, bushes, trees, it's in animals, it's DMT is in everything. Yeah, so how can you say that it's illegal? It's like am I illegal? <laughs> yeah, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know how that works. Mm.
1: So, yeah, knowing your medicine is really important. Knowing your body, knowing your dosage, and the sentence setting. All of those things are important.
0: What if that's the answer to all the world's problems?
1: Pretty much, I think it is.
0: It's, it's, (laughs) It's crazy to me that we have alcohol that's readily available... One of the worst things that's ever been created. It's it's totally acceptable, socially acceptable. Everybody mm-hmm. does it all the time.
1: So destructive. I mean it's good, it serves
0: purpose. It know. does, but it is destructive. And it's like one of the worst things you can do for your body, for um for the people around you. Like uh it's so bad. And we, we tried to ban it for a while, thirteen years I think. Nineteen nineteen to thirty one, I believe. And they realized that was a horrible idea,
1: yeah, well, when you outlaw something, then it goes underground, and yes. so you're creating a whole like a whole uh, uh criminal black market, yeah yeah so so it's it's like it just doesn't make sense so Portugal uh like legalized everything
0: mm-hmm.
1: and their you know abuse and addiction rates are way way down mmm
0: Well, that's what makes me wonder why or when or if we're going to do it here. Like, why not be able to go to Walgreens and get a bag of Coke?
1: Well, so Oregon passed Measure 110, which – so I'm going to – it defelonizes um, uh, small amounts or, you know, Amounts of possession. Yeah, it, it's still illegal to to you know deal and sell, um, which is where one of uh, decrim nature comes in. I mean, that's with psilocybin, and, and um, but, you know they want to say that you can you know gift medicine um, as part of the decrim nature, not for coke, but for for um, psychedelics. So, um, but like all Schedule One substances have been um, so what measure 110 did in Oregon is that you know people will get uh, either have to pay a fine or they can get a mental health assessment. And so they can move into addiction treatment. So there's all of these um, efforts towards an addiction treatment mm-hmm. that are being developed through measure uh, 110.
0: Yeah, because like you said, when you make something illegal, you intensify the desire to have that thing, and you create a market where people can sell it for a considerable amount of money. And if you remove that that uh, criminality aspect and you just make it legal, the 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 perception is that then everybody becomes an addict, right?
1: That is the perception,
0: but I don't think that's what would happen,
1: well, Portugal kind of proved that, yeah, but that that's not what happened, yeah, it's just I you know, I mean, people get in a lot of trouble for drinking and driving, mm-hmm. and you know, people still drink and drive, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: No, it seems like something's gotta change because
1: <clears throat> Well and the you know, it's like then the the black and white with uh you know it's it's bad, right? And and the judgment and oh well alcohol is bad and it's a moral issue if you drink and you know, that's what the you know the um the um I can't think of the uh the name of the the organizations that would say that, right? That would, um, you know, back when there was, you know, when it was illegal to drink alcohol. Um, So it's like, well, it has its use Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it's beneficial. You know, you have a few glasses of wine at dinner At a dinner party, you have a, you know, glass of wine or, you know, whatever, some beers or, you know. So it it can be beneficial. um, But then there's the addictive
0: part of it. Well, it becomes different things to different countries. Like if you go to Italy, Mm -hmm. kids will drink wine with dinner. Yeah. And it doesn't become this... This taboo thing that you have to wait until you're 21 to do, I feel like America just is not, they don't know what they're doing. Like you should just allow kids to drink earlier and it won't be such a big deal. And then they'll be like, oh, I don't want to do that. My parents do that. You know, like they only oh. want to do the stuff that they're not supposed to do. I was a kid once.
1: Well, I drank earlier and I was a teenage alcoholic. So Okay. But. But you turned out all right. I turned out great. <laughs> I'm like fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um
0: it's just like I don't know what well, has to change, but something has to happen because I think
1: it's just a, you know, being honest. I mean just being honest. It's like, you know, tobacco, right? Like, well people are addicted to nicotine and and you know, we now know that it's deadly. Smoking mm-hmm. is deadly, but if you take tobacco, it, it, like if you outlaw tobacco, if you outlaw alcohol right now, the it would our economy would totally fuck with our economy.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like, well, you can't. They can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, well, just be honest about it. Yeah, um, and you know, stop judging people for turning to alcohol and becoming problem drinkers or alcoholics mm-hmm. uh you know it's like well and, and so gabor mate talks about this he i so it's like the the mindset and the, the treatment of um uh, of people and of these quote problems um, what he says is that um you know Don't look at the addiction, look at the pain. The pain? The pain, yeah. It's like, you know, people who are abusing alcohol or abusing substances or, you know, people who are depressed or, you know, anything. It's like, what is the underlying pain? What are the underlying causes? What are the underlying issues
0: for it? I don't know that everybody does that for pain, though. What if you eliminate pain? People are still going to do drugs. You're not going to eliminate drugs because there's no more pain. Then people get high because it's fun.
1: Well, if people are getting high because it's fun and they're being responsible for it, then it's like great. More power to you. <laughs> right. Do that. If people are drinking because it's fun and they're being responsible,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's like great. Do that. Yeah. Now, if somebody's like wants to use heroin or you know, and they can. Do it responsibly and because it's fun, then do that.
0: Do you know who Dr. Carl Hart is? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He uses heroin. He's a well-respected doctor who doesn't abuse it, but he likes it. Yeah. He uses it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: If you can do that, then do that.
0: Yeah.
1: There's just so much, you know, there's this, this judgment that's around drug use and and so people don't get help. They don't Mm -hmm. get the help they need.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It's terrible. It's criminalized. Yeah. I think it just goes back to money. If there was a way to make money. Oh, yeah. And not allow people to... um, I don't know. It just feels like there's a constant desire to keep people in a place, and somehow profit off of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh Because yeah. you don't want anybody questioning the system.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You don't want anybody putting a chink in the chain. Like yep. just you do this thing you're supposed to do. Keep mm-hmm. keep being a consumer. Yep. Buy stuff, and uh, don't 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 have any weed. You know, or we'll put you in jail. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: don't relax, don't use it for your pain, don't use it for your anxiety, don't use it for your sleep. Take these pills.
0: Take these pills. Yeah. That we that we made.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to make a lot of money off of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation.
1: You know, so the uh addiction treatment industry. It's crazy. Multi-billion dollar. I mean, billions and billions of dollars. And you look at it and it's like, okay, people get addicted to the oxies, they're alcoholics, right? So there's, you know, people who make money off of all of that, right? And then you go into treatment. So there's all the treatment centers, the insurance companies make money off of all of that. Yeah, right. Um, you know, oxies, doctors, you know, pharmaceuticals make money off of that, benzos. Uh, so there's all these people that are making all this money off of these individuals who become chemically dependent on medications or alcohol, heroin. Um, and then they, it's like, oh, well, you're an addict. Oh, you're an alcoholic. And there's something really wrong with you. And you have to go through this treatment center. And you know, I mean, it's, it's really horrible. Because there's all of these people who are making money off of somebody becoming addicted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, I and mean, there's good treatment centers, but there's, you know, shitty treatment centers.
0: So, what would you recommend? What in in your experience, what has been the most life changing chemical that is
1: I, actually before. I, I feel like I'm talking a lot about addiction, but i can I just talk about the like the the uh depression, yeah, so depression anxiety, you know sleep issues right okay so there's lots of pharmaceuticals that are prescribed for all of those things, like the you know antidepressants uh sleeping meds, um just like a lot of prescriptions, right, so there's the doctors, there's the prescriptions. So there's like all of these people that are making money Mm -hmm. all down this path. Um, My experience is that, you know, oh, and then, you know, the uh, Subutex and Suboxone treatments and methadone treatments for addiction, same thing. All these people are making a lot of money off of this. Um, Psychedelic medicines get to the root of the problem for people. And, and if, they're, if they have a, um, an efficient um, uh, integration practice, then they're getting to the root of the problems with addiction, depression, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. They're not. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've known who, and I'm one of them, where antidepressants just really didn't work for me. I mean, like barely even took the edge off. And I've had chronic, clinical depression on and off throughout my life. And um, so psychedelic medicines, there is a way, I and mean, it's not a quick fix, um, but there is a way that will uh, support people with a lasting shift for them, you know, with their depression, with their anxiety, with their addictions. Now you can ask me the question
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just I was thinking like each one of those uh psychedelic experiences offers a different a, a different path or a different way to something, yeah, and you uh, like you said, take different things for different ailments, but um I guess I'm going to go a different direction. What, can you explain what it's doing to the brain? Like what, is it, is it opening up? But, I mean, the way that I always explain it to somebody is like, if you had to go to the grocery store, you had to drive to the grocery store every day of your life, <clears throat> you know that one road. Yeah. And you're just driving there every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when you take mushrooms or some sort of psychedelic, you now see that there's a thousand roads exactly to the grocery store. Yes, so you're just taking different roads. Yes. So I mean, you're basically just opening opening up pathways in your brain. Yeah,
1: that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So you, so the default mode network gets knocked offline. So we're talking about um, macro journeys mm-hmm. versus microdosing. Well, but microdosing kind of does this too. But so with a a macro journey, right, default mode network gets knocked off. Like like you said, you go, oh, wow. You know, there's a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. to get here. Um, But you have to be exposing yourself to that information also. So, you know, um, again, somebody who is not open-minded, they don't have, you know, they're not like reading different books or they're not connected with community, they're not connected with different people who are trying different things in their lives, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to create or creating a new neural pathway from them is going to be very difficult. So, um, it's, it's about the information like what you're putting in. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, and there's you know base practices that help support um finding these different paths. Um, you know, meditation is an a very important practice in my opinion, um to uh to you know to clear the mind mm-hmm. and clear the keep the ego cleared and you know connect with that. Um, innate healing wisdom and this higher level consciousness. Um, And, you know, yes, you you want to create these new neural pathways. And so uh, um, psilocybin actually does um, uh, um, assist in creating new neural pathways for individuals. Um, And so... What you want to do is create these new ways of thinking. So, like um, say you think that um, women are, you know strong, uh, strong a, a woman with a strong personality is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you go on a psychedelic journey and it's like, oh, well, actually, you know, me thinking that they're a bitch is just this cultural norm that I've bought into. And Mm -hmm. if a man does the same thing, has a strong personality, you know, it's admired.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Perceived as ambition, yeah, right. Yeah. So,
1: so I mean, that's just like one little example. Um, so it's like you get opened up to this this new way of thinking, and so then you start um, start on that path. It's like you know, so so you start getting healed of <laughs> so how, this this mindset.
0: So how does microdosing work then? If you're not having that. Uh, that crazy experience you're just taking small amounts each day you're not really feeling it it's just kind of what is it doing
1: well it, there there's are some perceptual amounts so it's some perceptual dosages so you know yeah you and that's a little confusing because people do want to have you know some kind of uh, perception shift but what we talk about when we talk about sub perceptual is that you're not you know Seeing your hand melt into the table and yeah. crazy colors. Um, so the effect f- with microdosing is very subtle. And so there's a lot of what's referred to as social research that's been done. Millions of people microdose with psilocybin for. Pro- Mostly with psilocybin and LSD. Those are the most popular medicines. Those are probably, period, the most popular medicines, most accessible. Um, So there are very subtle shifts. This is where a lifestyle of integration is important to, you know, to have practices in your life where you're going to be inviting in. Uh, whatever um, shifts happen. Um, I don't think that we can explain exactly why it works, but the the evidence through social research is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, so, um, you know, mushrooms and there's, you know, they do... Um, help to create new neural pathways.
0: Um, It's it's almost as effective as antidepressants in most cases, right?
1: I have known people who have gotten off of antidepressant medication as a result of microdosing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it, it makes you wonder if that wasn't just like part of human diet, for a long time and we were just all chill and hanging out and everything's great. And we like <laughs> forgot where they were growing. We're like, Oh yeah, we don't need those anyway. And then then like Caesar comes along, <laughs> Genghis Khan comes along, like people are killing each other. Like, where'd the mushrooms go? Makes we just need wonder. the mushrooms back. Makes you wonder. I mean the,
1: the the mycelium network. I mean, so there's the mycelium network, right? Underground. And and then the mushrooms are the fruiting bodies. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you do research about these mycelium networks, I mean, shocking. They're interconnected. That it, and huge, gigantic. I mean, it just like miles of these mycelium networks where, you know, these mushrooms just,
0: well, you know, fruit. Yeah, when you pick it apart, it's insane that you could eat something that grows in the ground and have a completely different experience.
1: Yeah. Well, and so um, uh, you look at the uh, Maria Sabina, who who is the person that helped, I can't remember the guy's name, um, who went to her village in Mexico, um, had a... She went ahead and had a, a psilocybin journey with him, um, and he was uh, – I should know the details of all this story, and I don't. <laughs> Just look up the story of Marina Sabina, and you can find out information about it. Anyway, so he came back to the United States and, um, and wrote an article about his magic mushroom journey, and then he also um, published a picture of her. Now, she, you know, this was like, this is a very sacred medicine Mm -hmm. for her and their tribe. And it's just part of who they are and what they do. It's just a part of their culture. It's not like it is here where it's like, oh, let's go trip on magic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And then it's outlawed. And, um, you know, it was just part of their culture. Um, You know, she was you know kicked out of her tribe kicked out of her her town wow. yeah it was like horrible what happened to this woman when once she was exposed because people started going down to to this town and they wanted to know about these magic mushrooms um so i'm sorry i don't remember exactly where i was going
3: with that
1: um the they are so incredibly beneficial. And, and and it's just, you know, it's just like getting uh, I I use community as a um, like an analogy for the uh, mycelium network. It's like, you know, just get plugged in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just get plugged into people and to a community. And the uh you know psychedelic communities that are um active now and growing are just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to be careful because there's you know, weird people or, you know, <laughs> unethical people. There's weird people everywhere. I'm gonna say there's unethical people, so it's important to get connected with your community, get educated, do research on the different medicines. You know, what's the difference between microdosing and macrodosing? Mm-hmm. Um you know microdosing is a really, really beneficial practice for people. Um, You know, Silicon Valley people have been doing it for a lot of years. There's quite a few different organizations um, that are educating individuals on microdosing. Um, I co-host a a microdosing discussion group monthly. Nice. Yeah. I coach people on, um, on how to microdose. Yeah, so
0: it's... Uh, so do you see more of these items becoming mainstream in the next 10, 20 years? And oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think in 10 years from now, all of this is going to be mainstream. Cool. It's all going to be completely acceptable and mainstream. I'm a little nervous about, um, you know... the. On this uh, this five meo panel that uh, that I did, you know, we were talking about um, you know how are you know like Western medical minded practitioners going to handle the set and setting for somebody who's on a psychedelic experience? Because um, so we look at like a healing crisis right you know somebody's crying somebody's like vomiting somebody's you know like having some kind of a major purge in um you know an ayahuasca journey or you know psychedelic journey it's like yeah you're good i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna keep you safe and you know make sure that you have what you need and you know that this is medically sound setting but western medical doctors it's like oh my fucking god you know this person is vomiting and they're crying and they're hysterical and they should have benzodiazepines and give them something for the nausea and and it's like no
0: i was just thinking that as you were saying that i bet a lot of it has to do with the fact that it requires more time a doctor can mm-hmm. prescribe you any sort of painkiller and you go pick it up at Walgreens and you go home and you eat a couple and you lay yeah. on the couch. If you're gonna go on a spiritual journey to figure some shit out, it's gonna take a few hours. And an somebody's investment. gonna have, somebody's gonna have to hang out with you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean that probably And you have to know how to part. hold
1: space for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I I'm a ceremony guide, so I you know, I hold space for people for that. Um and you have to know the ins and outs of that.
0: So, in in some of these ceremonies, what do you do if it goes sideways? Have you ever had a? You know, how do you how do you coach somebody back from the brink?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, it's oftentimes holding space for somebody. So, what does that mean? uh letting them know that they're okay. Yeah. That it's okay. That uh that this will be over soon sometimes is the message. That's <laughs> been a message that one of, you know, my people have given me is mm-hmm. like <laughs> like don't worry, you're halfway through. You just got to wait. <laughs> we got 9 more hours. <laughs> yeah, time's always the thing with me on when I'm on a journey. Um but, you know, um you know, if somebody gets into some kind of a, like a mental loop, you kind of help them out of that. Uh, maybe change the music. I mean, this is just like with me personally mm-hmm. in my, what I do, maybe change the music. Uh, you know, make sure that they are, they are hydrated. If they, you know, if we talk about taking more medicine before the journey that that's going to be offered. So, um, you know, some people... Are talkers, Mm -hmm. other people are not. So, um, you know, being able just to do what I do with, you know, talking with people, listening, um, guiding, um, you know, I know what someone's intentions are for their journey. Um, And, you know, I don't usually sit with someone unless we've had some, you know, extensive work prior mm-hmm. so I know them really well um, or pretty well and know nice. what they're wanting to get out um, so you know I may be able to ask some questions or um, you know suggest some somatic work some breathing Some um, depends on like in the medicine that I work with people aren't going It's not really that extreme necessarily. What do
0: you deal with primarily?
1: Uh, Actually, um, um, psilocybin and MDMA. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I have, um, I don't feel comfortable serving 5-MeO-DMT, although I can. Yeah. Uh, But I'm, you know, great sitting with that. I'm great sitting with, uh, you know, like angeling Mm -hmm. is what is often referred to. So, you know, helping a, a facilitator, um, you know, and holding space for somebody.
0: That's such a crazy profession. You get to be it's you get to be the rock. You get to be the one that helps them through mm-hmm. and then they come out the other side. That's gotta be so rewarding. It's amazing. That's so cool.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it uh keeps, you know, I when I think like a, a good sitter or guide or facilitator they're very connected with themselves and grounded um and they have a you know like a like a higher wisdom a higher view um and you know just like that knowing that everything's gonna be okay
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's like it's all right it doesn't matter what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all somebody needs to hear. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I think that's a good spot. I appreciate you coming down and hanging out with me. Sure. Thank you. Thank you.